and welcome to Let's Talk Period, the podcast for people living with endo, adeno or PCOS who want to be informed, educated and empowered when it comes to managing their chronic illness. I'm your host, registered nurse and chronic illness mentor, Isabella Gosling, and I am so excited to share this episode with you today. Before I dive in and tell you all about our guest, I just want to give a content warning around this one. It does discuss themes such as pregnancy loss, perinatal and postnatal depression and anxiety, and it might not be the content that is right for you at this moment in time. And if that is the case, I am so more than understanding. Tune off and tune in when you are in a better headspace and able to handle these discussions. But let's dive into all about today's guest. Today's episode is with Sammy Walters, or you might know her as Endo Warrior TTC on Instagram. Sammy is 32 years old, a national assistant in the property industry, wifey and mama to her beautiful IVF baby London and angel baby Daisy. She was diagnosed with PCOS and endometriosis in 2018 after a 16-year battle to diagnosis. Since then, she's been given further diagnoses of infertility, adenomyosis, and pelvic congestion syndrome. Alongside her specialist, she takes a multidisciplinary approach to her treatment from dietetics to pelvic floor physio, birth control, pelvic floor Botox, acupuncture, and psychology. In this episode, we chat on that tumultuous journey that was getting an endo and PCOS diagnosis, how she navigated the conversation about infertility and the loss associated with doing this, actually doing IVF and the challenges that arise throughout this process, the anxiety that she felt throughout her first pregnancy with her daughter London, as well as her experience with pregnancy loss, postpartum anxiety and depression. Sammy's advice for those who are going through an embryo or pregnancy loss, plus so much more. Now, here's Sammy. Sammy, welcome to Let's Talk Period. I am just so, so excited to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Uh, And it's always really lovely to have people that I know and are friends with in real life on the pod because it just gets rid of any awkwardness or anything like that, like there can be with podcasts sometimes. So I'm always so excited when I get to interview someone I know. It's always awkward listening to those conversations where your podcaster is like, um, so... Yeah. <laughs> trying to like pull the teeth but no not yeah. with this <laughs> yeah no <nah. laughs> uh, so the first question I always ask everybody you included is all about nourishing our bodies so I'd love to know what you've done to nourish your body today I actually love this question and I love hearing everybody's answers and I was going to be so prepared <laughs> and do yoga this morning and just have a little bit of me time and then I didn't So I'm going to say I'm terrible at drinking water and today I've had a lot of water. So I'm going to go with that. Oh, let's keep it simple. Yeah. 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 (laughs) All right. And like, oh, drinking water can be really hard when you get busy and you just, 
and it gets to like after midday and you're like oh how much water have I had shit like oh I've had zero water (laughs) today yeah that's usually me I'm sitting at my computer like working away and then I'll be like oh I don't even have a bottle of water on my desk (laughs) yeah (laughs) and like oh then you don't really notice it until you're already feeling dehydrated and you're like oh no I'm already thirsty I've already got a headache like no so Massive pat on the back to you for hydrating today. (laughs) (laughs) And then I know because you do listen to the pod, the next question that is always next is all about managing our health. And when we're living with a chronic illness, there's so many things that, you know, we have in our everyday life to help us manage people, items, therapies, strategies, all the things. Is there something that you would recommend that you use regularly that you'd recommend to the listeners for when it comes to managing their health? Yeah, so I try um, not even necessarily for the the pain side of my my chronic illness, but um, for the mental health side, I regularly um, attend yoga and body balance classes. um, And, yeah, it's just for me, it's just that one thing that just pulls me out of the funk or if I'm, and you can always tell when I haven't been because I am cranky or I just like react, like I, I react rather than like thinking things through and like I will immediately bite my husband's head off <laughs> instead of being like, oh, you probably didn't mean what I think you mean. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think, I think doing things that, um, that make you feel good, it's so important to look after our mental health as well as as well as our physical health so oh they're on par for yeah, sure for sure yeah yeah we just don't look after our mental health the same way we do we do our um our physical health which is terrible so let's try and change that up yeah exactly and like i don't know i think people like not everyone's a fan of yoga but I, I'm also a yoga fan and I think it's like it is that forced like meditation in a way because you are focused on the pose that you're in, you're focused on not falling over, like yeah. you're focused on your breath because they always bring it back to your breath. Like yeah, it's sort sure. of like you're focused on other things and you don't have time to be focused on all of the other thoughts that are going on at the moment. It's just sort of like that forced relaxation. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it doesn't even necessarily need to be yoga. Like again, we know that we enjoy that part of it, and I actually enjoy body balance um, more than I enjoy yoga because I like the the added. I do a flexi class, so it's like um, tai chi and yoga all in one. Um, and I just enjoy yeah that breath work, that just like bringing coming back to yourself, coming back to your breath. And but I I think that it's not even about doing those specific things with yoga and body balance, but just doing something that nourishes you, something that you that make like gives you your endorphin rush, gives you your your happy place. I think it's so important. Oh, I could not agree more. I, yeah. And like you can find that mindfulness in anything like that, like yeah. no matter what you do. So, yeah, I think it's yeah. so important. Oh, now let's dive into some of the, you know, the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, all about, you know, what's going on for you and your story, your experience and all of that. And I know 
we have sort of led with that you do have a chronic illness and not just one lucky you <laughs> <laughs> lucky me <laughs> lucky uh, us <laughs> yes lucky us <laughs> I would love to sort of know where your story sort of kicked off and when you sort of realized something might not be quite right and when you thought you know you might be dealing with endometriosis and PCOS or what what that whole process sort of looked like for you yeah so um suppose my story is almost the same as everybody else's symptoms start with my first period so I got my first period when I was 12 um, my periods were always super painful always super heavy um when I was a 19 I started going to see GPs um and immediately you know first protocol you're a teenager first protocol with a GP put you on birth control so I was um yeah I was put on birth control at 19 um and yeah I just sort of there was no other mention of anything else at that point um when I was 23 I had um 12 weeks of bleeding and that was when I was like "Mm, let's go again um so I popped yeah I went to the GP again um they kind of said they don't he was like oh just kind of maybe your body is rejecting your pill now it's just gotten used to your pill and we just need to change that up so again (laughs) change the pill um birth control is our (laughs) GP's favorites um and yeah, so I, I actually saw over over a um, over about a six six year period, I saw about ten JPs, um, and it wasn't until I tried started trying to conceive that it was actually even investigated fully. I did have one GP who sent me for an ultrasound and blood test to look for PCOS, and at the at that point in time, um, they said I didn't I didn't have PCOS. Um, so yeah, then I, we started trying to conceive. We'd been trying to conceive for about eight months when we first saw, um, my GP. Um, and she basically said, because I had been on Depo Provera, not a fan, um, <laughs> they, I eventually got put on Depo, um, after everyone all of my all of the pills they were putting on my body didn't like rejecting them yes rejecting them (laughs) um yeah so I eventually got put on depot which you know for somebody who has crazy heavy periods crazy painful periods that felt great to me like I was I didn't get a period so I was fine yeah well like you went from bleeding for 12 weeks straight to nothing like oh yes please like yeah and that's the thing like we my our um our honeymoon I spent our entire honeymoon bleeding and then I bled for another eight weeks after we came back from Mm. our honeymoon too so poor husband (laughs) sorry Paul (laughs) the husband not right the um the honeymoon's meant to be for the the husband right (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah we yeah so I came off depot we were trying to conceive for about eight months prior to I me going to the GP um and she said, obviously, I was due for a pap smear. So she did a pap smear, but she asked me when I'd had a period last and I was probably six months. Um, and so she did a pap smear and I started bleeding when she did that pap smear. So that's always, she's like, oh, what are the chances? Period now. I'm like, <laughs> why is this? 
So that was like kind of Thanks, the buddy. start of the <laughs> start of the journey. Um, so yeah, then we um went through again ultrasounds, blood tests, all of the usual fertility, like the beginning of your fertility panels. Um, and so I was diagnosed with PCOS um from those. Uh, and uh my GP had asked me, did I want a referral publicly or did I want a referral, pri- referral pr- to a private gynecologist? Um, and I had actually, when we decided to start trying for a baby, done some research around the Gold Coast of obstetricians and I'd actually chosen Tina as my um, obstetrician when we eventually got pregnant. Yeah. Um, so I said, can you just refer me to Tina? Um, so at no stage did I actually ever have the thought that oh this could be endometriosis Mm. um until I was sitting in Tina's office and we had had um had that conversation about um if anybody has not had a gynecologist (laughs) question (laughs) them and the line of questioning with endometriosis we're going to talk about your periods we're going to talk about pain we're going to talk about poo yeah <laughs> that is that's a huge thing and I was like why are we talking about bowel movements got nothing to do with periods that's but not, yeah yeah that's not my reproductive system yeah <laughs> um but yeah so yeah just a half an hour appointment and um yeah Tina had said that um she was pretty pretty sure that I had endometriosis and I was, yeah, from there I was booked in for my first laparoscopy a month later. Mm. Had you ever heard of the word endo before, endometriosis before then, or was that sort of like one of the first times you'd heard it in her office? Yeah, so I had heard it before, like just kind of in passing, not, nothing that I had like even taken notice of really. Um, and it wasn't until I... Um, got on Instagram with my infertility stuff that, um, well, at that stage it was just trying to conceive. Um, um, and, yeah, so I, it wasn't until I got on there and I had seen it a little bit more. Um, but, yeah, it wasn't really until I was sitting in her office and she had said, look, I think I think this is what's going on, um, and to which I just broke down because, I didn't know much about it. And the only things I had heard about it was lots of people with endometriosis can't have babies. Yeah. And that's like the one thing that you're trying to do at the moment. I can't have that. Yeah. 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 So you're sitting in her office and you go for your first lap. What was it like after that laparoscopy? Did you feel relief? Did you feel sad? What, What were you feeling? Look, and I, I think that bef- before my laparoscopy, I had obviously put it on my Instagram. I was going for a laparoscopy with my my specialist and um, I actually had somebody message me and say, I really hope that it's not endo. And I was like, well, I actually really hope that it is. Yeah. Not that I want endo, but I, I wanted an answer. Like by this point, I had been suffering for 16 years. Yeah. I'd been I'd been told that there was nothing wrong. I'd been told my body was rejecting pills. I'd been told that it was in my head. I'd been to hospital. And like the yeah, because of 
because the the awareness around it and the training around it has been so lacking like you do you get those people who just think it's all in your head maybe she needs a consult maybe she needs a site consult mm-hmm. like so I think um getting to that point where she was came in after my surgery and she was sitting on my bed and she said you had stage three it's stage three endo like things were like my bowel was attached to my um up and over the top of my left ovary it was all attached to my pelvic wall and she was just like please don't try any harder (laughs) yeah like she's like you're stage three that's the second highest no trying harder (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah I think for me I I did I did feel relief because I was like it, it is that I'm not oh I'm not going crazy like there there is actually something going on that explains all of this and there are things we can do to help treat it I guess it's not curable but we can do things to treat it yeah we can make things manageable for you yeah yeah Yeah. oh and I can so resonate with that I hope it is endo because I've I've been there too and you just want there to be an answer for what's going on for you so I so know how you feel and it's that relief of like yes there actually is something wrong I'm not crazy so it is like that it's such an I can't even say it such an affirming feeling yeah yeah and do you get that with like like each subsequent laparoscopy because I was the same with my last laparoscopy um because yeah, when I had I had that big endo, uh, I had that big endometrioma on my ovary, um, and I kind of was like, Tina was like, okay, well, if we're going in, I'm gonna do another full lap. Like we're not going in just for a little bit. We know we wanted to go in again, so I'm just gonna do it all while I'm there. And for her to like, when I came out, say to me, yeah, you were all stuck together again. Like I had to like your ovaries was like immobilized I had to remove it all again um I I get that you get that same yeah I get that every time every time I think because you're so used to questioning yourself and doubting yourself that you do you you're what you like wonder oh is it bad enough to need a surgery is something actually wrong or am I just thinking it's in my head again yeah and that's the thing like that was one of the things that she specifically said to me was like this was 100% justified like don't even for a second question that this wasn't justified like we needed to do this yeah exactly and I think uh, having that reassurance from her would have just made it all the difference in itself yeah. as well because you do you toss and turn and it costs money and you don't want to waste money and yeah yeah, yeah. exactly oh yeah um so from there you've had your surgery and you are also thinking in the back of your head I'm sure um, people with endo can't have kids what is that going to look like for me and you're already in that trying to conceive process yeah. did you think that infertility was something that you were going to have to navigate and what what kind of conversations were you and your partner having um so yeah prior to this diagnosis we didn't think we'd have any issues at all um and so yeah I think we had always kind of had that conversation like we'll get to the point of parenthood however we need to and like we had had that conversation I mean by the time 
we had this surgery, um, I had this surgery done and we'd been trying for a baby. We'd been together for 11 years. So we, um, yeah, we had had lots of conversations about we'll do whatever we need to do to get to that point. Like, um, so yeah, we had kind of had all of those conversations, but yeah, it was just kind of bringing to a head, like, this is actually our reality. Like this is no longer a theoretical conversation that we're having. Um, this is where we are. And so we need to obviously take stock of where we are and come up with a plan. Um, as I'm sure you are as well is where type A personalities yep. <laughs> and have to plan everything and have plan A, plan B, plan C. Yeah. <laughs> and all plan the plans where we've got to. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so like you mentioned, you had your Instagram, so Endo Warrior TTC. Um, how long were you guys trying for before you had to sort of step into that assisted fertility space and what was that like for and when did you really start to open up and start sharing on Instagram? Yeah, so I I practically started sharing on Instagram um, around the time I went to see my GP and was diagnosed with PCOS, so about a month before that, I think. Yeah. Um, And... Yeah, and then so we obviously need, yeah, I think we're about eight months at that point in time. So I think we're about 18 months into, like a year and a half into trying for a baby before um, before we actually started doing the assisted reproductive um, treatments. So, yeah, we, after my surgery, um, Tina had said to try for six months on our own yeah and so we did um and yeah we got to obviously got to that point where we went and had another conversation with her and she said we could continue to try on our own if we wanted to um but again type a need a plan need I hate hanging out in the wind like I know how you feel yeah 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 Yeah. you just need that next step yeah like we've been doing this now for 18 months we need to try something different yeah um so yeah, then we went into that space of um, ovulation induction and did a couple of rounds of ovulation induction. Um, and I did ovulate perfectly. It was great. Um, we were pretty hopeful. Again, that didn't eventuate. Um, so yeah, then we moved on. Yeah, it would have been about 18 months. Then we moved into into the IVF space. Yeah. What was that like having to go and do IVF because I think you know people say I'll just do IVF if needed but it's not just doing IVF there's so many things and it's like the physical side but also the emotional side and like the mental side like what was that actually like having to navigate yeah I think for me the physical side of it was the easy part um the 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 emotional side of it the mental side of it was um yeah it was a lot more challenging for for me because it was firstly we're spending a lot of money for a chance yeah it's not guaranteed that you walk away with the baby and it's yeah it's an expensive chance yeah yeah and not only that but like we're you you're losing that um just another type of loss 
Like you have that loss of like not being able to do things on your own. And so when we went into, when we started into the IVF process, um, Paul obviously had to do a a semen analysis and um, yeah, he got a text message from her like, analysis is all good. Have fun baby making. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, then when we moved into the IVF space, it was kind of like, well, I'm the problem. So it's like the loss of me, us as a couple not being able to have a baby because of me. Yeah. Um, so I think that was that was the more um the the harder part for me was yeah. processing that and then processing the fact that yeah, this is only a chance. Um and just riding those waves between starting that first injection and getting to getting to the day of um your blood test to see if you're pregnant or not yeah oh and that mental side of things and that guilt is so real and I think people try and dismiss things like that so often but it's it's real and it's hard and you can say I'll just move past it but yeah it's a grief process because you do lose that thing and you've got to work through that and be just really kind to yourself as I'm sure you'd say to others but And that's the thing we say, be kind to yourself. This is not your fault. Yes. And we say it to so many other people. We're just nasty to when ourselves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then it's all fine for everyone else to be kind, but yeah. no, I'm going to be mean to me. Yeah. It's my fault. So yeah. <laughs> I'll be nice to everybody else, but we'll bring out the bitch. Yeah, exactly. That inner <laughs> mean girl. I don't know oh, why we do that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's the worst. So yeah, yeah, we're our own worst enemy. Oh, but yeah, so from there, how would that have felt like that whole process you've done it and then you're waiting for the blood test? Was was that the first round? How many rounds of IVF did you need to do in the end? Yeah, so we um we were super lucky. And I will say that every single day we are super lucky. We did one one stimulated round of IVF with a fresh transfer and fell pregnant with London. Yeah. So we were super lucky with that. Um, The, I feel like the day of the blood test was probably the hardest day that I had. Yeah. And like, I have these terrible photos of myself with like mascara (laughs) running down my face, like just during the day while we were waiting for that phone call, because I had my blood test done at about 7.30 in the morning. So I drove to work because my work was around the corner. It's not as close. It wasn't as close as it is now, (laughs) Um, but it was probably like 900 metres away. Yeah. Um, So I drove to work, had my blood test done, drove home because I was like, I'm not working from the office today. Yeah. Because either way I'm going to be a mess. Um, But, yeah, I think that, that day was probably the hardest for me, just the waiting, like, I didn't actually end up getting a phone call until 4.30 in the afternoon with my results. What a wait. Oh. Um, so, and by 4.30, I'd even gone and had lunch with Paul being like, they'll call while we have lunch. Like, that's cool. No. Nah. It'll be fine. <laughs> no. <Nah. laughs> I was like, well, come on. Um, but, yeah, so they didn't call until 4.30 and 4.30 Paul went into an interview at work, like went to conduct an interview. And I was like, oh, my God. So I took the phone call on my own. Yeah. 
and you're like, the, don't um, do this to me, Paul. Now I've got to deal with this alone. Yeah, like, I can do this on my own. And then the the um the nurse was like, I'm so sorry, we've made you wait all day. We're just waiting. We're just waiting on something back from Tina. And I had actually called about 20 minutes before that, and they said, oh, we're waiting on something from Tina. And I was like, that's it. I'm out. They're waiting on a. They're waiting on another appointment to discuss like another yeah another round. So you've already um, like decided yourself that it's negative yeah. like I'm not yeah. pregnant yeah yeah 100% I had already decided that and um yes she's like I'm so sorry we've made you wait all day um so your HCG is 789 and as I'm sure you would know is anything <laughs> over 50 they class as pregnant yeah. she's like you are very pregnant yeah and I was just like wait what <laughs> what are you are you sure She's like, your HCG is 789. You're definitely pregnant. I was like, oh, okay. What a shock. <laughs> yeah, like just total shock. And I had like my best friend who was, she texted me a couple of times. She was kind of like, I'm not, I don't want to bug you. So just like, let me know if you need anything. And so I was like, well, I can't tell her before I tell Paul. So I'm sitting there like, for 20 minutes going, are you in this interview? Are you still in this interview? Can you hurry up and get out of this interview? Um, and he had actually messaged me just before he rang me and said, oh, um, is it, I'm in here with Martin, who's his boss. Is it okay for him to be in the room? And I was like, whatever. Like, yeah. I don't care. And he, from that, he was kind of, he didn't really know which way. Yeah, which way it's going. So I think he get, he, he made Martin leave. <laughs> um, and yeah, so then I said, uh, he called me and I was like, um, yeah, so our HCG 789 estimated due date of the 7th of April. And he was like, holy shit, it worked. <laughs> and we were both oh. kind of like, just dumbfounded yeah oh my gosh because I we've seen all of our friends and um like in this community and we've had um family members go through IVF before and it we just hadn't been exposed to it working first go yeah exactly it's not something that's commonly shared that it happens on the first go of IVF and you probably you know like you said you resolve to the fact that no it's not worked this time and yeah 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 and that's the thing so we were kind of just like a bit dumbfounded um until it kind of sunk in I guess yeah and that's something I wanted to sort of ask as well is like you get pregnant and you're pregnant and it doesn't really feel real and that's sort of the next step of it were you feeling anxious or unsettled throughout the pregnancy like when did it sort of feel real and when did you stop worrying or did you not stop worrying until you had London in your arms <laughs> yeah so um I think like I was okay in those very first I'm gonna say few few weeks mm-hmm. um so I had my first scan and we saw London and saw her heartbeat um at six weeks and two days um and then at six weeks and five days which was a sunday afternoon at like 3 30 in the afternoon i had a big bleed so i had i I just i had some cramping and 
I just, we'd, we'd been and volunteered for the day, like being volunteering for the day. And then we came home and I was like, I'm just going to have a sleep. Like, I just, I feel a bit off. And so then when I woke up, I went to the toilet and like, as I sat down, it was just, it just gushed. And I was like, um, I actually yelled out to Paul who was still sleeping and he's like, what? And I was like, I'm bleeding. And I just kind of like, I didn't, like in that situation, you don't know what, if you've never been pregnant before and you've never had a bleed before, you don't know what to do. Yeah. Um, So we had an after hours number for Monash. um, And when I called it, it said they didn't open until five. Like they didn't start doing the after hours calls until five. Yeah. So to leave a message. So I'd left a message and then I left another message and then I left another message. Um, And when I spoke to the nurse, she said, there's not, or really anything you can do at this point you just need to just need to bed rest until you can talk to talk to grace private in the morning and see if you can get a scan um so yeah i called grace in the morning um and they had said that my tina's tina's theater days are mondays and fridays so this happened on a sunday so tina was in theater all day on the on the Monday and I think yeah. I'm really lucky that her her rooms are in the same hospital that she operates in um so she when she had finished her roster for the morning um she fit me in for a scan um and yeah so I I had that scan as soon as she as soon as she put the put Wanda in yeah <laughs> as soon as she put the ultrasound wand in like we could we saw London straight away. I saw a heartbeat and I was just a hot oh, mess. You would have just um, have felt that relief all over again. The just... rel- yeah. The, and it's that it's that exact same relief I'd had six days earlier yeah. when we had had that scan and seen her for the first time. Um, but to answer your question about the worry and the anxiety and I didn't, like I, I knew I was anxious. I didn't really understand how anxious I was until London was laying on my chest yeah um so Tina picked her up and put her on my chest after after I birthed her and I just was sobbing yeah I literally cried for about 20 minutes and the the midwife um I think she knew too much about about my story but she was kind of like rubbing my arm and she was like it's okay it's okay you've done it like it's over and, and Tina was like, I've got this, step yeah. back. And Tina <laughs> came up to the side of me and she was just like, you didn't let yourself believe it, did you? And it wasn't until that exact moment that I realised that I didn't. Yeah. Like I didn't think we were going to get to that point even after that. Um, and I don't know if that was um, exacerbated, I guess, by the hyperemesis that I had because I'm you know I was oh sick. yeah you are My so entire <laughs> even in labor I was still vomiting yeah. um at that and then I had then I developed irritable uterus so it was feeling like I was having contractions um so I was kind of constantly in and out of hospital from about 34 weeks I kept going and having checks done because I kept having these contractions um and yeah I don't know it just it just kind of felt 
it felt like a really surreal nine months, to be honest. Um, even being sick, you think that being sick, having morning sickness or acute morning sickness, as it, as it were, um, would kind of reassure you that things are still okay. Um, but I don't know, just wasn't something that clicked in my brain until she was on my chest and went, okay, I didn't let myself. We can, we can breathe. We have a baby on us now. This is is real. Yeah. We did it. (laughs) Yeah. She's safely here. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to know, like, and I know this is something like you, people when they're trying to conceive, get dished out so much advice, but you know, as somebody who has gone through it, what advice would you give someone who is struggling with infertility and are trying to conceive at the moment? I think don't be afraid to reach out to your medical team because I know there are all these rules around try for six months if you're over 35, try for 12 months if you're under 35. But I think you don't know what's going on in your body. There is no harm in going and getting some blood tests done, going and getting an ultrasound done and just looking at your beginning factors. Um, I think we, we've all heard that just relax, go on holidays, stop trying, just get drunk, all of that unhelpful, mm. useless information that makes us dumber for hearing it. <laughs> yeah, the eye roll just like in series. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, my eyes can't roll back far yeah. enough for those. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I just think consult consult your clinicians. Like I know that there's been a lot of, a lot of hoo-ha around at the moment regarding our physicians, but especially if you've found someone good, if you've found someone that you click with, if you've found someone that advocates for you and for their patients, then go to that person and get get your starting line if there's things that you need to do they'll be able to they'll be able to get you to that point so i i think ignore the six and 12 month rules and if you feel like you're ready to start looking into things further absolutely do it yeah i think that's some really good advice sammy and i think you're so right with like you don't know what's going on and you you know knowledge is power and if you waited you know longer you're already like six months behind the ball kind of thing where you could be you know six months into doing something if you find there's something going on for you so I think you know being proactive and taking those steps and you know reaching out to that medical team sooner is such a good tip Yeah. yeah Now, this is, you know, this is kind of hard as well, but like, you know, we've got beautiful London and that's, you know, she's such a gorgeous girl. Love her so much. But not long after having London, you found out that you were pregnant again. I think it was about seven months after. Um, This pregnancy, however, resulted in a loss um, and you had beautiful Daisy who gained her angel wings and I can't even fathom or think like what that would be like to lose a pregnancy and I know you had that scare so early on with London so I'm sure you can chat about that but what what was this time like for you and what what was going through your head yeah so the day we found out 
and I hate I hate this part yeah the day we found out we were pregnant with with Daisy um we both flipped out like Hey, how the hell did we fall pregnant on our own for, yeah. for a start? Um, and it was just kind of like London's only seven months old. I had been back at work for a week. Yeah. <laughs> um, Full yeah, stations was, panic. <laughs> yeah, it absolutely was. And I feel, I actually feel so guilty um, for having that, for having that day. It was literally like eight hours. From the start of my work day till the end of my work day and then when Paul came home and we were talking and discussing we we calmed down yeah um and so yeah I and I even said this to my psychologist and to Tina when we saw her um initially like I this was before we had our first, had any scans with Daisy or anything and like I almost feel like if something goes wrong now it's it's my fault because initially my brain went, oh, what the hell, I don't want another baby right now. I never, ever would have done anything to not have another baby at that yeah. point in time. But it was just kind of that split second, oh, my God, I don't know what's happening. How did this happen? It's just that panic station. And I'm yeah. sure that people who fall pregnant spontaneously have that yeah have that of course. <laughs> um but yeah it, yeah so we 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 had that we had a first had a scan with Tina I had seen Tina prior to that first scan um I'd gone in to see my psychologist actually um and <laughs> Tina was just like oh my god um <laughs> so she was super excited and I actually got her to check my bloods again because when I saw my first um, my first HCG, it just felt a bit off to me. Like yeah. the numbers were only just slightly higher than what my initial one was with London. And I should have been around seven weeks when I had that first, those first bloods done. Um, but Tina had said she wasn't worried um, with, with spontaneous pregnancies. It's hard to know when we actually conceived. And yeah. I was like, I sex three times in two weeks, so it's one of those days. Yeah. <laughs> we can narrow it down. <laughs> After, I'm like, mum life. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so we we went in and, yeah, we just had a conversation. She's like, okay, well, let's let's um, let's um have a look at your baby. Um, and, yeah, she scanned my tummy and she said, um, oh, I'm going to have to do an internal. I said, oh, okay, that's fine. And I couldn't see the screen, but Paul could. Yeah. He didn't say anything to me at that point, but he obviously, like, we know what a what a gestational sac with a baby in it looks like. And yeah. there wasn't one there. So um, we, yeah, she, we moved into the treatment room and she did an internal. And I didn't realise until afterwards, but she got, when, when she sat down, she pulled the monitor like tilted the monitor towards her yeah so I couldn't see it yeah and so she was scanning around for a little bit and she said look what I'm what I'm seeing um it's a little bit unusual um 
it looks like there's two gestational sacs. It looks like one's collapsed and the other one, I'm not seeing a lot of evidence of, of bub present. Yeah. As she said, um, look, our dates could be off. So um, we'll, I, I want the sonographers to have a look with their, because they obviously have a higher tech yeah. machines. Um, so I want them to have a look and then we'll come up with a plan from there. Yeah. Um, so I went to the sonographer and she didn't, she, she did an external and an internal again. Um, and the internal, she's like, oh, it actually does look like there is something in there. So there was, there was a little kind of shadow in there. So she was like, well, so they took that to the, um, radiologist and she said, um, that we needed to wait seven to 10 days yeah so we can do another scan um what a horrible time period though like yeah every day you just would have felt so yeah I I think the thing was as well I was so sick like I was back to being sick the same way I was with London so for me I was kind of like well is it isn't it like and you do that kind of bargaining thing with yourself where you're like, well, if I'm sick tomorrow, then maybe it is. Yeah. Or, um, but, yeah, so we, I think our first scan was a Wednesday and then the next one was a Tuesday. Um, no, the other way around. Yeah. So we went, um, we actually went to Stanthorpe the weekend in between. Um, we go to Stanthorpe every Christmas time to get our um, real Christmas tree from the farm. Um, so we'd gone to gone to Stanthorpe and I kept having to ask Paul to stop so I could vomit. Yeah. And we also now have this little stash of vomit bags in our <laughs> in our cars. Very practical. <laughs> well, HG does that too. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it gets you prepared. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, and then so we'd gone down on the Friday and we came back on the Sunday, and that Sunday night my symptoms just all stopped. So by the time we got to Wednesday, I was kind of resolved to the fact that that it wasn't progressing anymore. Um, So, yeah, we had our scan. And as soon as she did it, I could see that um, we had a scan with the sonographers first. We didn't see Tina first. So we had a scan with the sonographers first. Um, And, yeah, as soon as she as soon as she started scanning, I could see that it looked exactly the same as it did the last week, and there was yeah. no heartbeat. There was there was nothing, um, and yeah. So the poor sonographer, and I'm sure she deals with things like this almost every day, which is heartbreaking. But she's, yeah. she's so lovely. She said, "I'm just just gonna go see Tina and see when we can get you in to see her." Um, um, and she came back, she's like, I'm so sorry, Tina, can't see you for like another hour. She said, can you go and get a cup of tea? Um, and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead of the, the sonographer, I was like, oh, I can find a room for you. Like, I don't think Dr. Green's here, so I can put you in. I'm like, Steph, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> go for a walk and I'll go and get something. I'll go and get something to eat or drink or whatever. I'll be back. And I actually yeah. saw one of the midwives who delivered London um, while while we were out and she was like how are you I didn't realize she was in the clinic um the week the prior week when Tina had come out and um asked the sonographers to do to do the scan so she kind of knew what was happening um 
and yeah so she yes she's and I was grateful that I didn't have to explain it like yeah like just do you know I was kind of like really just numb about it all that day um and so yeah it was really lovely to see her and um just she was just like if you need anything you just let me know like um yeah so we went back and saw Tina and Tina said okay well like sometimes this kicks people into gear and they want to have another baby straight away and I just said no I can't do this I can't do this again anytime soon um I I think um for me I'd been pulling myself in and out of postpartum depression and anxiety like just having that like struggle against it for so long and I'd gotten myself to a really good place yeah um and yeah so I was just like I can't I can't so um Tina said we talk now we can talk talk options so there are three options when you have a missed miscarriage you can um wait and let it happen um apparently that can take up to like four weeks and I was like knowing my luck it'll be Christmas day yeah nope no um the second is you can take the medication to induce labor as it is um and again i've done labor and of course it wouldn't be as bad i'm guessing it wouldn't be as bad but i'm not that's just not a nice experience experience. it's not fair for london it's not fair for paul not Uh, fair for you not fair for me um and i had just said to her uh, the third option is a, a DNC. I just said to her, she said, "We now we can talk options." And I said, "I just wanted out." Yeah. Um, so she yeah, she booked me in for the the next morning um, to have my DNC. Um, so yeah, that was that was a struggle day. Yeah, that would have yeah. been a really hard day. Yeah, and I think I went I went from zero zero emotion on that Wednesday to um to just letting it all out on on the Thursday morning um I had a an anesthetist that I'd never met before and he was trying to talk to me and the anesthetic nurse was trying to talk to me and um talk me through the um like when when would you last eat how much do you weigh blah 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 all of the usual pre-op yeah pre-op questions um and I was literally I was just crying and I was like I'm really sorry I'm like I will answer your questions but I'm just gonna cry and they were like it is completely okay like we wouldn't we would expect nothing less um and then of course Tina comes in and that just made it worse yeah Um, but she's and I think that's the thing like you know when somebody you know and somebody you love or like they they ask you if you're okay when you're teetering on the edge and it just just sends you over off the cliff (laughs) yeah Um, so yeah she was she was great she um as she does with all surgeries held my hand until I until I fell asleep and she I don't know I just remember seeing her face as I fell asleep and she just looked so sad (laughs) and I'm like she feel like it breaks your heart like yeah just like like her yeah but that's the thing, like I'm for me in that in in those moments, I'm like, I this thing that's happened to me is hurting other people as well. And I hate that. Yeah. Um so yeah, that 
was not yeah that was it was it was hard um and it it, it doesn't get easier we just learn how to navigate around that grief yeah. and move around that grief it all it'll always move with us but i think yeah there are there are hard days and there are things that trigger and um yeah people's first scans for me is a massive trigger yeah and i sit with that that anxiety while like I would never tell somebody this, but like if when they're telling me, oh, I'm going for my first scan, I sit with that anxiety for that day until I get, until I have that confirmation. Um, it's just one of those triggering moments, I guess. Yeah. And like you said, it doesn't get easier. You just sort of find ways to manage and navigate and, you know, try and do the best that you can. Um I love that you talk about Daisy and I love that you don't sweep it under the rug and pretend like it was something that just never happened because that's something that happens all too common and why miscarriage and I hate, I don't even really like the word miscarriage because it kind of sounds like it's your fault, like you've lost something. So like when you, yeah, I think the stigma around miscarriage and not speaking about it just makes it all the more worse. So the fact that you are honouring her and speaking about her and, you know, raising so much awareness through all of, you know, all of the content that you put out on your socials is so important as well. And I don't know, do you feel like sharing online has been like cathartic in a way or, you know, talking with other people has been helpful? Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, sharing when I did share was a big part of the reason that I am okay. Um, I, I've always felt really guilty because, like, I, and we shouldn't do this. I hate that we do this, but it's another thing that we do to ourselves. We <laughs> compare our grief to other people's grief. So I've always felt really guilty about being so heartbroken over Daisy because we were i think we should have been nine weeks when when i when i had my dnc i'm like but people see people have seen heartbeats and then they don't have a heartbeat or people have had incompetent cervixes and lost their babies or people have had stillbirths and um i just i i hate that we i hate that we compare it but we do compare it and i do feel guilty about about feeling so heartbroken but she was my baby yeah exactly Um, yeah so I think yeah I think navigating that time is just sorry okay (laughs) um yeah just navigating that time is I don't know I think it, it was sharing the day before my my dnc um and getting the amount of support, even though it was a spontaneous pregnancy and I'm in the infertility community, um, the support that I I received was nothing short of incredible. Like it was, it was, it was so beautiful. And the fact that I could just, someone was just a message away um, at any point in time. Um 
yeah, it just, I think that really helped and that, that, that helped me come out the other side in an okay space. Yeah. Uh, and I think there is that power with sharing what you're going through because other people come out of the woodwork and like, I felt that too, or yeah. I'm here for you. And just having that support only, like you said, just a message away and knowing that you're not alone and you're not going through this by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other thing for me in, in this situation where there were only, and because I am in that infertility space, I did again feel really guilty that we spontaneously fell pregnant. Um, there were only a few people in the infertility community who knew um, who knew what we were going through or knew even knew that we were pregnant. Yeah. Um, so I think sharing in that moment, even though we'd had the support um, from the few people we had told, um, I think, yeah, just having that backing of just everyone being like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry, I'm here, and that. I think that's what we need in that moment. Um, and I think a lot of people in our personal lives, in in real life, I guess, um, would say, again, silly things like, oh, it's really common. Oh, sometimes it happens. Oh, oh, you'll just, you'll get pregnant again. That's um, just so unhelpful. Just, like a loss is a grateful. loss. Yeah. Like you should, oh, you should be grateful. Now you'll get to spend more time with London. And I'm just like that none of that is comforting yeah all of that is actually really hurtful at this point when I just need somebody to hug me or I just need someone to say I promise you that you will be okay and I am here through every step of it yeah and not like sort of explaining away what yeah. you're going through and I know most of the time people do come from a good place but it's just not productive yeah. or helpful at all no no yeah. And I think, yeah, that's what we, and I know that I share a lot of things kind of like this on my personal, my personal pages as well. Um, because I think we're the ones who experience that hurt. We're the ones who need to, and we shouldn't have to, but we're the ones who need to educate those people who are making these remarks. And we know that they're trying to come from a, a good place but it just we need to educate them around why it's not okay to say those sort of things yeah and then providing them with things that they can say instead and yeah, because I know they must be in an awkward spot of like oh I'm not sure what to say but sometimes if you're going to say those things it is better to say nothing at all nothing. because they're not yeah they're not helpful and they make things worse sometimes. So, yeah, I think, you know, like you just said, we shouldn't have to do that work, but sometimes that way at least, you know, you're like, well, I've put that effort in and yeah. I've given that, I've given all that I can into that. If that's what they're yeah. going to do, if this were to ever happen again, then at least I know I've tried. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah. I would really like to know if you've got any like words of wisdom or like pearls of advice or anything or just even like a message for anyone who has gone through an embryo loss or a pregnancy loss. I just think you just have to feel what you feel. Um, it's so easy to get caught in that space of what did I do wrong? What could have I done differently? How is this my fault? 
um, I can't be upset because somebody else is um, somebody else is has a situation that's worse than mine. I think we just need to let ourselves sit in our grief. However, that comes to you in that point in time. Um, I think you just need to you need to feel it um, and you need to express it. And if that means you turn off your phone and you don't talk to anybody for two weeks, you do that. If that means you need to surround yourself with with people, you do that. If that means you need to come to the infertility community and yell and scream and swear and just you just you need to do whatever it is that feels right to you in that moment um I was really lucky to have um a a good team around me at that point in time I had midwives I had an OB I had um I had my psychologist but not a lot of people have access to those to those um those types of services in the in the public domain I guess um again I'm very grateful and very lucky to um, have a private clinic and be able to afford um, a private clinic. Um, and yeah, I just think for me, the one of the biggest things that helped me, and again, completely personal choice, was my psychologist. Um, she <laughs> cried with me. <laughs> um, she's like, this is literally the complete opposite of my job and yeah. you <laughs> my tina had said to me you broke our psychologist and i was like yeah i did <laughs> my bad um it would be so yeah. difficult to not feel though with that so i guess it yeah. just shows that the, like health professionals are human too yeah. and yeah i i honestly don't know how um ob's midwives psychologists don't have more vicarious trauma like they it's 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 insane to me how they can deal with these things day in and day out and still be an okay human being <laughs> um I guess that's all all to do with the training as well but yeah she she was so beautiful we said this is so many times <laughs> um in the that in, in the appointment between my first and my second scan and then um I had an appointment just before the Christmas holidays with her and she gave me her mobile number and said if you need me while I'm off for the next three weeks you text me or you call me whatever it is and even to this day um like we'll be have we'll be talking about something in a in a session and she'll see something on the news or something that she thinks might be triggering to me and she'll text me and just say, hey, I just saw this. Are you okay? Do you need anything? Um, so I think that's a sign the, of a good practitioner. Like what an amazing psychologist you have. Yeah, she she is incredible. Um, and I'm so glad that I was referred to her about five weeks postpartum because I needed yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, and so she's been with me through this entire thing. And I think, again, for her, she when we lost Daisy, it was just another loss to add to my previous losses and my previous trauma. And um, she'd watched me build myself up um, to a point where 
we were just talking like this, like yeah. I didn't even cry my sessions yeah. anymore. Um, and then to get just the rug pulled out from under you. Um, so yeah, for me, I think the psychologist was my, my psychologist was um, one of the things who kept me sane. <laughs> yeah, uh, for sure. And I think speaking with a psychologist, even, you know, no matter what your circumstance and no matter what you're going through is always beneficial. Like, even if you don't think there's anything wrong, it's good to go and just chat because then when something does go wrong, you've got those skills and those tools to help you. Yeah. And that's the thing. Um, it's like so massive. Like if you don't know, you don't know. So those, it, you know, if you haven't learned those skills and it's not like it's something we're taught in, in school or anything, no. if, you, if you don't have those skills, you can't support yourself. So I think that's really it's it's really important to have those tools. So again, as you said, even if you don't feel like there's anything wrong, you feel like your life's going okay, like I will never stop seeing a psychologist um, ever. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, like we've said, so important. Yeah. I would really like to know what's something you think that, all of the experiences that you have gone through from endodiagnosis, PCOS diagnosis, infertility, conceiving um, London in the end through IVF and then going through your loss with Daisy, what have all of those experiences given you or what do you think you've learned about yourself? Um, I think that I've learned that even when I don't think that I'm strong enough to get through something, I, I am strong enough to get through it. Um, I think that when life pulls the rug out from under you, you just have to claw that thing back. <laughs> um, you pull that rug back, yeah. Pull it back. <laughs> I don't care if you have to pull it string by string, pull it back. Um, but, yeah, I think, and I think that a lot of people in this space and in the infertility and loss and even chronic illness with um, endo, PCOS, adeno, all of the things that we just like to add and add and add to our lists. <laughs> um, I don't want any more. No, no more. you're done. My list, please. I've got four on my list. <laughs> yeah. I don't need any more. <laughs> but, I, yeah, I think that each one of these things shows us that we are strong enough to to carry on or to not yeah carry on but also make our life make space for these things in our lives and how to um how to deal with them in the moment yeah for sure I guess from I'd like to touch back on like the things you you know we weren't taught at school and whatnot like that mm-hmm. uh, I guess from all of this what would you like to see change within the pelvic health space we're already 12 minutes over time how long have we got? <laughs> <laughs> um yes number one thing education in schools for our teens and i don't want it to just be our girls I want it to be our boys so our boys can look at their sisters or their girlfriends or their friends and go, are you okay? This doesn't seem right. Um, 
I want our GPs to have more than two days training on women's health. Um, I would love to see more endo and excision specialists within the public health system so that women who don't have access or people who don't have access to a private doctor, a private excision specialist um, can get the proper treatment and the proper diagnosis that they need and they deserve. Um, I would like to see more personalised service in um, the IVF space within public clinics or bog billing low cost IVF clinics um it really frustrates me when I see clinics doing herd cycling I don't know if you've ever heard that term oh I've heard it off and on but I I'm I'm not really in the IVF space yet (laughs) who knows (laughs) where yeah what will happen but yeah, yeah so I don't even know what is that so um herd cycling is where they do they they have a bunch of patients and they do the same thing for each patient on the same day so um a lot of a few clinics i've seen will use down regulation so they'll put you on birth control until the same day you'll all come off birth control on the same day you'll all have your scans your bloods your um egg collections all on the same day and i'm like for me in in a space like the infant that's that's perfectly fine if you've got someone who's doing IVF because they want to do IVF um but in a space where you have these people have people who have low sperm count or they have um low egg reserve or they have PCOS or um endometriosis or adenomyosis or whatever it is (laughs) Every single person should have a personalised experience. It shouldn't be the same for everyone. And I understand why they do it because these are doctors who don't just work in that clinic. They work within public health, like within public hospitals and things. But I, I having the personalised IVF service to myself. You just feel like another number that way kind yeah. of thing. So, yeah. And I feel like everybody deserves the service that I was given. Um, sure. Yeah. And yeah, I would just two minutes. I have too many things too many that things. I want changed. <laughs> so I want all of the things. I want all of the pretty things. Yeah. Um, uh, and I agree with all of those things as well. Yeah. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with the listeners today, Sammy? Um, I just think that no matter where we are in life, I think you just need to remember that we we're a community we're all here um i think we need to stand together i think we need to stop tearing other women down um and i know that we shouldn't have to advocate for ourselves and i know that it sucks that we do but we do so do it with kindness and Um, Just remember that you've got this community here backing you up. Yeah. 
I think that's such a lovely way to end there. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. And thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing so much because I can't imagine it was easy. And I know that this episode is just going to help so many people. So thank you so much. Oh, I hope so. Thanks for having me. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Period with Sammy Walters. Now, Sammy and I did record this episode a few months ago, so I do have a little update to share since we've been speaking. Since our chat a couple of months ago, Sammy has undergone a further four embryo transfers, experienced another pregnancy loss and a lipodial flush but I'm happy to report that baby number two is on the way for her and she is out of the first trimester and doing so well and I am so thankful for that. If you want to keep up with Sammy's journey and experiences or just follow her for more content, you can follow her on Instagram at endowarriorttc. If you want to keep updated with all things Let's Talk Period, you can follow us on Instagram at Let's Talk Period AU. Um, the podcast is produced independently. It is just me doing all of the things for the podcast and Let's Talk Period. So I would really appreciate if you took a minute to like, rate, share, subscribe, follow, support the show in any way that you can. It would mean the absolute world to me. Uh, And if you are craving community, um, please come and join me over on Facebook in the Let's Talk Period community. It is the place for people living with endo, adeno or PCOS to get support, chat with people who get it and just, you know, have a place that is just for us. So I would love to see you over in there. Other than that, I will see you on Monday for a brand new episode. Let's Talk Period is produced for educational purposes and the information, recommendations and topics talked about does not constitute medical advice or take into consideration your personal circumstances or medical history.